you know, Jesus, in, during his public ministry, was very public about the fact that he was going to rise from the dead, but people didn't really understand it. And he even gave a public demonstration of that in the, the death and resurrection of his friend Lazarus. And in John 11, John gives an account of that, uh, that wonderful event, that, in a sense, prelude, that demonstration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, and outside the tomb, as he was with Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sister, he told, uh, told Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. That statement with so many others and with what we celebrate on this uh, Resurrection Sunday, this Easter Sunday, demonstrates the fact that the resurrection is absolutely essential for Christianity to be true. It is the cornerstone of our faith. If there's no resurrection, there is no Christianity. But there was a resurrection. And our God reigns. And Christianity thrives as a result of that. My hope today as we look at Matthew chapter 28 is that you too will be able to look at the evidence of the resurrection that comes to us from Holy Scripture and you will be able to proclaim He is risen indeed. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do come before you. We thank you on this glorious day. What a great day to be alive, to be able to be with the saints and to proclaim that great truth that is some 2,000 years ago that He is risen and He is risen indeed. I pray, Lord God, that you would bolster our faith, Lord, because sometimes we get discouraged. Sometimes we have doubts. And very often we find ourselves having to defend our Christian position. Help us to be wise and to be able to look to this passage today to find this wonderful evidence of your resurrection, these eyewitness accounts, the testimony of the angels and of the women and of the apostles and of the 500 who saw Christ in a risen state. And I pray, Lord God, that you would visit with us today and that you would be glorified in all that we do as we recount that wonderful, wonderful day of some 2,000 years ago, the first Easter that ever was. Bless us now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You've already heard from our passage today, and we also get opposed to Christianity to, uh, to hide the fact of his resurrection. But uh, I want to pick up with three major headings today as we look here. Uh, first of all, we're going to see the witnesses to the resurrection in 28, 1 through 4 and 8 through 10. Then the testimony to the resurrection, verses 5 through 7. And the denial of the resurrection in chapter 27, 62 through 66 and 28, 11 through 15. You'll find your home group help insert of, uh, of benefit to you in keeping up with the outline of where we're going to go this morning. And also there's some uh, notes on the other side that might be of uh, assistance to you later on in the service. But first of all here, we have the witnesses to the resurrection. And it's interesting, each one of the gospel accounts kind of has a little bit of a different angle. Matthew chooses, of all things, to give the account of the dear-hearted, loving women that were the first to be able to witness the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he gives the account of these two women, but there's also, of course, looking at the other Gospels, uh, more than just one, but of these women who wanted to go take spices to the grave to anoint the body of Jesus Christ. They were aware that Nicodemus had already provided spices, and they were aware of where Jesus was buried. Uh, they accompanied Je uh, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea to the gravesite. Uh, Nicodemus, of course, had spent a considerable sum, been able to provide uh, spices. He had probably had those reserved for his own burial, as he probably did this particular chamber, uh, the, uh, Joseph of Arimathea, uh, this particular chamber where Jesus was, was buried. Uh, so they were aware of where that was, but they wanted to do their part too. 
They want to do their part too. Now we hear here that it's the, uh, Jesus, Mary and the other Mary. That other Mary, of course, is the mother of James and Joseph, the wife of Clopas, uh, according to jo Matthew 27 and John 19. To, taken together with the four gospel accounts, there's at least five women in the garden. You have Mary, the other Mary. You have Salome, the mother of James and John, and the wife of Zebedee, Joanna, and then others, uh, uh, what you see in Luke chapter 27, verse 10. So there was a whole company of faithful disciples, uh, faithful women who were seeking to minister to Jesus. Some have speculated why they got up so early, why they got there, and some have thought that it, in Jewish tradition... It was said that after four days, the spirit leaves the body because it can no longer recognize the body due to decay. So that may have been part of it. But I'll be honest with you. I think it was because they just wanted to do something. They were prevented from being able to go help uh, 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 because the, uh, the Passover, they couldn't touch a dead body. They couldn't. Uh, it was getting nighttime. The body was taken away and sealed up and Roman guards put there. They were not allowed to do it then. Uh, they could not wait to make their contribution in some way. They, they didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't understand what was going on. But they just loved Jesus. One commentator says this, The women did not have confidence in Jesus' resurrection, but they had great love and great devotion for him. What they lacked in faith, they compensated for in loving compassion. And what they lacked in understanding, they made up for in courageous devotion. And that can be said of us. There's, there's, there's answers we just don't have about Christianity. There's some things that people, good people, smart people, godly people disagree upon. But we don't have to have complete, 100% true understanding and true evidence of what's going on. What we need is this kind of love, this kind of faith, this kind of devotion of the ladies here. Let's go to the to school on these precious women who did their part in glorifying God. We see here a great earthquake occurred. Of course, this is the second earthquake. The first occurred at the moment of Jesus' death uh, where the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, giving us access, demonstrating the fact that we have now direct access to God through the mediator uh, of his son. Uh, but the, the, the stone was rolled away in the second earthquake. Now, whether that had to have an earthquake in order to roll the stone away, I don't think we had to. But, but God, again, is demonstrating his great power even over nature. He is the creator of nature. And now we had access to the tomb. And one of the things that's important to understand is that the stone was not rolled away to let Jesus out. We're going to see in the account of that evening, Jesus can pass right through walls. The stone was to let us in, to let the women in to let Peter and John in so that they could see that the grave was empty. We see here that the, sh the guards shook for fear and became like dead men. I love what R.C. Sproul says. These were Roman guards, the best of the best uh, in the world. But Sproul says this, they were armed and ready for everything except an angel from heaven. <laughs> that hadn't been in their training book, right? What do you do if an angel shows up and opens up the grave that you're supposed to be guarding? Well, you do what they did. You, you flee. <laughs> you, you pass out uh, in fear. Now we see here the testimony of the resurrection, verses 5 through 7. And, and, and I kind of want to go to school here, too, on the four imperatives of the gospel according to the angels here in verses 6 and 7. First of all, they say, come, see the place where he was laying. So this idea that you need to come is important here. Um, you, you know, again, you're not going to have all of your questions answered 
uh, when you are seeking to understand Christianity, when the Lord is bringing you to faith in Him, when He is quickening your heart, when He has given you an interest in spiritual things, there's still so many answers uh, that you are not going to say. But what you need to do is step out in faith. You need to obey what the angels say. You need to come to Christ. You need to come to Christ. Again, I have degrees in theology. I've been a Christian for 42 years. I still don't understand everything. But I know this. You come to Christ, he will not reject you. So he's saying, come, go see them. Now, there could have been a lot of things that would hinder them from obeying this. We think this is just natural. You know, they've they got an angel telling them these kind of things. But, you know, they were, they were overwhelmed with grief at the time. They're in a graveyard. There's kind of a creepy aspect to, uh, to graveyards. Uh, the, the Rome had declared everything off limits. You know, you didn't want to go mess with Rome. They had sealed this tomb. Uh, they might be implicated in a crime. The priests were concerned that the body would be stolen away and they wouldn't want to be at the crime scene at the time. And even just their guilt, their shame, and their sin for maybe not doing enough. Uh, too often our guilt and our shame hinders us from being able to come to Christ. But we do come to Christ. And one of the things we find when you come to Jesus Christ is that he is a wonderful, blessed, merciful, and gracious Savior. He does not reject the one who comes to him. Matthew 11 says, Come to me, all you here, weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. The next imperative from the angel is see. See the place where he was laying. The angel is like giving him a tour. He's like taking him like, come here, look here, it's empty. He wants them to be able to see this because they're going to be witnesses, the first witnesses, of this amazing resurrection truth. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the wonderful Baptist minister, says this, uh, the, the, the lessons, that, the five things that we learn from the resurrection of Christ here at this moment. First of all, the condescension of Christ, the humility of Christ. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, even though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that, th that through his poverty you might become rich. This is a God that became man, and not just man, but a poverty-stricken baby, son of a construction worker in the backwaters of planet Earth so that everyone can relate to him. He humbled himself, as Philippians says. Although he existed himself in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. How can we not walk in humility? How can we not treat each other with humility when God went so low as to even experience the death of the cross we also see the horror of our own sins it was because of our sins that he had to die this death he had to be put in the grave isaiah 53 says he was pierced through for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities the chastening of our well-being fell upon him and by his stripes we are healed he was our substitute in this horror we too will die. That's another thing that we keep in mind here. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says this. For since by the man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the death. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. And as we think about death, the fact that we're all dying, we also need to think about judgment. 
because the judgment, because we are sinful people, we cannot stand and be with a holy God because of that. Something has to happen to that sin. Either we are judged for it or somebody else, a substitute is judged for. That's the, the, the reason why we become Christians is that so that Jesus would take the, the penalty for our sins. But that judgment is coming. Hebrews chapter 9, 27 says this, And insomuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. So Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. So there's a view here to the, the return of Christ and the final judgment. But for the Christian, there is not a judgment of sin there. It's a judgment of rewards. Jesus is not in the tomb. He defeated death. Uh, one commentator says, All the reports, whether sacred or secular, there is not one attempt to deny that the grave was empty. There's a number of attempts, and we'll look at some of them, this, to, to explain why the grave was empty. But no one ever tried to say, uh, no, it was not empty. And then, of course, also the wonderful truth that we celebrate on this Resurrection Sunday is that we also will rise. 2 Corinthians 4, 14. Who who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also up with him. Belief in the resurrection is not just a New Testament con concept. It goes back to the Old Testament as well. Hebrews tells us that Abraham considered that God was able to raise men even from the dead. Psalm 49, 15. God will redeem myself from the power of Sheol. He will receive me. Isaiah 26, 19, your dead will live, your corpses will rise. Daniel 12, 2, the, 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 those who are just will awaken to everlasting light. And of course, one of the great texts from Job chapter 19, which I think I've used at every funeral I've ever, I've ever preached. I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will take his stand on the earth. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I will see God. One of the things I love about that is how much did Job suffer? Job lost everything. But as he's thinking about the life to come, the resurrection to come, he wasn't thinking, I'll be reunited with my, my departed children. He's thinking, I will see my Redeemer. From my flesh, my resurrected flesh, I will see my Redeemer. And the wonderful truth here is these ladies who saw this, they followed the, and they obeyed what the angel told them to do. Moments later, they're going to see Jesus with their eyes, like what Job did. And they're going to be able to touch him with their hands. John uh, reminds us in 1 John 3, we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him just as he is. The third imperative here is to go, go quickly and tell his disciples that he uh, is risen from the dead. But basically, this is not the opportunity for you to sit and have a quiet time. You know, we have work to do. There's a whole world going to hell in a handbasket. Get out there. Get those apostles that are hiding right now. Stir them up. Tell them what you've seen here. And then, of course, this chapter follows with the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the earth. That's our commission as well. You see, the angel that told the, 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 uh, the uh, ladies these same things is telling us the same thing. Well, we, ha we have work to do. Uh, we need to be so excited about the resurrecting life that Jesus Christ gave us that we just can't help but tell others. You know, if you go to the Holy Lands, all of these uh, sites that you would normally go to, 
uh, have been, uh, no, most of them are controlled by either the Catholic or the Orthodox Church. And very often there's a church or something uh, that's been erected on top of one of the sites. Uh, and, and sometimes the, the buildings the, and the decorations are almost to the point of, of just almost being gaudy. Uh, there's, just, there's just so much gold and so much glitter o- over some of these sites, and they're beautiful in their way. But uh, I remember very distinctly there's one site that's different. There's one site, the garden tomb, that's actually controlled by the Protestant church. And it's just, it, it is the most peaceful, tranquil place, whether it's really where Jesus' grave was, or I'm not sure. But the interesting thing, too, was there was a real connection with the people that organized that site. They really cared about your experience there in the garden tomb. And, uh, and they, they had come there and they had volunteered there to be able to tell people that he had risen. And it was just so different from so many other sites that just seemed to be overwhelmed with tourism and, and traditions that go over the years well, that's what we're to do. We're to be so excited to tell people about this empty tomb uh, that, that we just can't contain ourselves. Then we see, of course, tell. Tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. He gives them the content of what their message was to be. Um, he's not here. He has risen from the dead. And it said here that the women ran from the tomb with fear and great joy. How different they are from the Roman soldiers who collapsed in fear and in terror. And that's the two, that really is the two responses to a resurrected Christ. Some are trembling and yet worship. Others are trembling and yet fight him or flee from him or despise him or go against his people. Now, according to the other accounts, especially in John chapter 20, we find that this angel is actually joined by another angel. And John is clear to point out that, that one angel would sit where Jesus' head was supposed to be and one angel was sitting where Jesus' feet were supposed to be. And in that, you kind of get this symbol of the Ark of the Covenant, don't you? The great Ark of the Covenant, which the lid of that Ark was called the Mercy Seat of God. And of course, Scripture tells us that Jesus, His sacrifice was the propitiation, the Mercy Seat, the satisfaction for God's wrath. And here it is before these women seeing right there, a living Ark of the Covenant with the mercy of God in that resurrected state. He says to go ahead to Galilee. Uh, Don't be confused by that. Remember that Jesus is not just bringing this message through the women to the apostles, but all the disciples in general. His first appearance is not in Galilee. Of course, he appears that that evening with the uh, with the uh, the ten in the upper room. And then, of course, he appears on the road to Emmaus. He goes to see Peter. He actually has breakfast on the shores of Galilee before him. But, where, but uh, 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that in Galilee and is where he gave us the, the Great Commission, but also uh, is, is where 500 different people saw him and witnessed to his resurrection. Now we see here the denial of the resurrection, and it's important to know the, the, what people come up with and how they will, uh, as we sang earlier, scoffing rude uh, at your belief system and how they try to, uh, to criticize uh, Holy Scripture here. Uh, basically says here that the, the, you know, the, um, the women, who of course, weren't the only ones to see the resurrection. The soldiers did as well. And the soldiers brought testimony. One group goes to the apostles. The other group goes to the priests. The very priest who said that that deceiver said he would rise from the grave. So we've got to seal him in there and make sure no one comes and steals his body. Well, they show up and say, he's gone. He's gone. 
they had very, very clear evidence of the resurrection, and yet they came up with a scheme to deny it. The scheme was that the disciples stole his body. It's the, that was first put forth by the priest. It's the theory is as old as it is improbable. First of all, and, I, and I'm, I'm grateful for Dan Doriani on this. I got a lot of these, the, the summary of these ideas from him and his commentary. But first, the disciples were of no mind to steal the body. They fled at Jesus' arrest. They were crushed and they were terrified. The authorities posted a guard on the tomb. Uh, and uh, you're, you're not going to overpower Rome's best soldiers there guarding the tomb, especially if you're in a state of terror and you're trying to do something illegal. Third, the disciples, uh, d uh, d if they steal the body, uh, nearly all of them died for a lie. With the exception of, of John, who just died of old age, but in the island of Patmos. They all died. No one dies for a lie they know about. Some people die for a lie, but they, they, no one willingly dies for a lie, especially when they have nothing to gain from it. Dan Doriana says this, there is a delicious irony here. The authorities tried to cover up the resurrection by advancing the very story that they wanted to prevent. They posted a guard so no one would steal the body and say he had risen. Now they tell the guard to say they fell asleep and that the disciples stole the body. In this way, they actually spread the story of the empty tomb. The authorities also demonstrate their depravity. Earlier, they had demanded that Jesus performed a sign that they would allow them to believe. And Jesus said that no sign would be given but his resurrection. Now they have the sign they sought, but instead of believing, they attempted to destroy the evidence. Isn't that sinister? It's much like when you hear about that, referred back to the resurrection of Lazarus, how the uh, gospel commentator said this, that, that after that resurrection, they so resented Jesus raising Lazarus the dead that they sought to kill Lazarus. They sought to get rid of the evidence, to get rid of him. How corrupt is the heart of man that you have clear evidence here, but there's no there's no evidence that any of them believed, even though the resurrection had been proven to them. Then the second one is the swoon or coma theory. There's a lot of problems with that one. And I, by the way, these are listed in your home group helps. It might be of assistance to you. Stick it in the back of your Bible someday and you can address some of these things. Um, but first of all, the Roman soldiers, they were pretty aware of death. They had been killing all throughout the entire Mediterranean world for hundreds of years. Uh, Jesus had been punched, slapped, flogged, beaten in the head, jabbed with thorns, stabbed with a spear, uh, where often flogging alone would be enough to kill him. Beyond that, he had no food or sleep or drink from the time of the Last Supper. Third, the very act of being nailed to a cross, even for a short time, could cause mortal injuries. There's an account of uh, Josephus. Uh, the general, uh, uh, he was a Jewish general during the time of the rebellion, 35 years from this event. He was captured by the Romans, uh, and he got along pretty well with the Romans. He was sort of neglected, uh, a, 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 he regretted the rebellion. But anyway, as, uh, as the Romans were punishing a lot of the rebels, and they were crucifying them all along a roadway, Josephus was walking with Titus, the Roman general, and saw some of his friends being crucified. Can you imagine that horror? And he appealed uh, to Titus. He said, please, you know, save their lives, save their lives. And Titus was, uh, was uh, affected by his appeals. He liked Josephus. So they pulled three of those men down. And with all of the care that they try to give them, two of the three still died. And Jesus had none of that care. Jesus was sealed in that tomb without any sort of care and had a spear thrust 
in his side as a result. The fourth, of course, if Jesus did awaken the tomb, somehow he was in a coma, somehow he was soon. How in the world is he going to get out after not eating or drinking after three days? There's these, these are just ludicrous. They, they wouldn't work for anybody else, but people are so desperate to deny the resurrection, they come up with these things. The, the third one is no burial or the wrong grave theory. This is a favorite of John Dominic Crossan. Uh, Crossan uh, was a, uh, a former Irish priest. He's now part of that Jesus seminar. You know, they, they highlighted the Bible in black and rewrote the Gospels and added a Gnostic Gospel in there just to do it because it's this search for historic Jesus, which basically you could rephrase that, the denial of a supernatural Jesus. He says this, that, uh, that basically uh, they, just, they, they did like they always did. They just took his body, threw it into a grave, and he was probably just uh, eaten by animals, that there was no particular grave here. He, uh, he said this, those who cared did not know where it was, and those who knew where it was did not care. Well, then why would they go to so much effort to secure the grave? Why would they post guard? Why would they seal it with a Roman seal? And Joseph of Arimathea saw the grave and helped bury it. So did Nicodemus. So did these particular women. Then we see the hallucination theory. I love this one. Uh, this was uh, this uh, induced by an ardent expectation. They all hallucinated. Uh, and uh, uh, so you have this entire group of people having a common hallucination. Y'all, that cannot happen. That cannot happen. And what about Thomas? Good old doubting Thomas. I love doubting Thomas. No doubt an engineer. Danny Thomas, uh, you know, said, wait a minute, I want to see, I want to see some evidence here. And guess what? He got evidence. And what did he say? Good old Thomas said, my Lord and my God. What about the 500? What about all those in Galilee? What about the ascension of Christ and all those other things? Then the other two are kind of connected. You have the telepathy theory. There's no physical resurrection, but God sent a divine telepathic message to the believers, making them think Jesus was alive. Or a seance theory, a power spiritualist used dark powers to fool people. Ooh, you know, so we can't believe that God could raise a body from the dead, but we believe in a seance theory. How desperate are people to deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Then there's the mistaken identity theory. Someone else impersonating Jesus duped the disciples. Or this one, which is going to be more and more popular this, this day because of the attack on men and attack on the church. Disciples were simply lying about the resurrection. Uh, John, Peter, uh, Matthew, they just wanted to promote their own, uh, their own uh, patriarchal control of the church and get credit for it. But again, they died for it. They died for it. You don't die for a lie knowingly. I love what John MacArthur says. Only a fool tries to explain the res away the resurrection because the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ are man's only hope of salvation and eternal life. Why would you explain away your only hope for salvation? Paul says in Romans 15, if Christ has not been raised and our preaching is in vain, our faith also is in vain. But thinking about these, those who criticize the church, and that number is just growing, who think it's a silly superstition that you would believe in the resurrection, even as well documented as it is. Jesus said in Luke chapter 16, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even as someone rises from the dead. And that certainly was true of the priests. 
Some of you don't know Jesus. Some of you have not come to Christ. Don't be like those priests. Be like those women who went and saw and told. Additional evidences of the credibility of the body resurrection of Christ could include the soldiers and even the priests confirmed the tomb contained the Jesus' body and that it was empty. The apostles took... Uh, looked terrible in the Gospels. The, the, the Gospels are not complimentary to, to the, to the uh, apostles. They, they, they kind of give the good, the bad, and the ugly of their failed faith at times. Another one is the, the fact that we start off here with the witnesses of women. Women had no credibility in the court system. Their testimony was not reliable. Unless it was actually the women who saw it, why would you ever make a statement based upon the view of women? Again, over 500 people saw him, and no one deliberately dies for a, a lie. Thomas Arnold, Oxford professor, says this, I know of no one fact in the history of mankind which is provided by better and fuller evidence of every sort to the understanding of a fair inquirer that the great sign which God hath given us that Christ died and rose again from the dead. It's just, it cannot be disputed. There is ample evidence to believe. Now, you won't unless God changes your heart. Because we want to be able to write this off so we can have our own way rather than recognizing his Lord. Because if he did rise from the dead, then all the other stuff he said is true too. And that he is God. And that we will appear before him one day. And, we'll hold our, and he holds us accountable how we live our life. The women were used to proclaim the angelic message of the gospel because... They were there. They were present. They were serving the Lord. Now, that's another thing, too, is, is too many Christians want to be on the sideline of this thing, Christianity. They don't want to obey the gospel. Uh, they don't want to uh, obey the Great Commission. They're uncomfortable being too committed to church. But what if those women had decided just not to get up and go out that day? What if they decided not to serve Christ in their own particular way? How many people have missed out? on amazing things that God has done. The day you skip church is the day something amazing is going to happen. It just is. It just is. So they were there. They were available. And they were blessed as a result of this. So think about this. Thinking about the wonderful truth of the resurrection. I think about John on the island of Patmos. Old, old John is there. He, of course, was ministered to Jesus during his life and saw Jesus again in a great vision. And then Jesus appears to him and explains, I am the first and the last, the living one, and I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. That being true, we should be as the women did. We should come up and took hold of this, who came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. They acknowledged Jesus Christ as being divine. It fulfilled that. That and so many other times, Philippians 2 has been fulfilled, that every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the uh, Lord to the glory of God the Father. If you do not know Jesus Christ on this Resurrection Sunday, this is a great day to get saved. <laughs> There's just no better day to get saved than Easter Sunday, the day that the darkness was crushed by the light because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you don't know Jesus, you need to come and see. If you do know Jesus, you need to go and tell that he is not here. He is risen. He is risen indeed.
Father, we do come before you and we bless you on this Resurrection Sunday. And I pray, God, for the salvation of those who hear this message who don't know you yet. That you would take off the scales of their heart. That you would yet to see, let them see in faith what they've not been able to see. That you would inhibit the evil one from blinding them to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They would enter into the threshold of glory today. And I pray for the rest of us who do know Christ who sometimes become complacent in our faith. We worship a risen Lord. How could we ever get tired of doing that? How could we ever waste our life in worldly pleasures? So, Lord, I pray for one group of people that they would get saved today. I pray for the other that they would be further sanctified today. And I pray, Lord God, that we would be so excited about the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we cannot keep silent, but must proclaim that he is risen indeed. In Christ's name, amen.